the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the show. Welcome to a brand new week. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is The Word to Stand Up for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls, answering your Bible questions, questions about something going on in your life. All you have to do is pick up the phone and dial 210-340-9585. If you are outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. Numerically, that's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can use our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. If you are driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the call now banner at the top of the screen. You'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Hope you had a great week, a great weekend in church. We did here, uh, in spite of the cold weather, we were absolutely packed on Sunday, and some people got saved. That's always a neat thing. I hope and pray that was the same where you go to church. Um, we've got a lot going on here tonight. We're going to be having our men's, women's, and youth Bible studies um, at 7 o'clock. Uh, Paula actually will be teaching the ladies tonight, Pastor Ken, the men, and then our youth pastors teaching the junior high and high schoolers. You can sort of make it a family affair. Worship starts at 7 o'clock, and we would love to see you there. Well, I don't have anything else, so let's get to some questions. Raleigh says, when you speak about the presence of God, what does that look like practically? Raleigh, uh, it took me back to my high school, by the way. I played baseball with a guy named Raleigh as well. Uh, he was actually good. I wasn't. He was actually good. Uh, I think he's in the Hall of Fame now, so um, the Major League Hall of Fame. Uh, Raleigh, when I talk about the presence of God, uh, there's a great old book by a Puritan writer named Brother Lawrence called Practicing the Presence of God. When I was a new believer, I used to use that term all the time, practice the presence, and I thought I made it up. Well, you don't make anything up. It's, it's, there's nothing new. Um, but, but the idea is just be aware of his presence. Um, um, hang out with Jesus. Our, our theme here at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio is just be with Jesus. Uh, the Bible says in his presence is the fullness of joy. We're also told in Nehemiah that the joy of the Lord is our strength. And of course, we want to walk in joy. We want to walk in strength. And so the the answer is to be with Jesus. Now, what it looks like practically is the fruits of the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 22, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. When you're walking with Jesus day in and day out, then those are going to be the characteristics that other people can observe in your life. So it's very, very important. I think sometimes, Raleigh, we'll get up, and I think this is just sort of how we're, we're built 
Remember also that there's a whole lot of spiritual interference when we want to practice the presence of the Lord. But I think we get up and we decide, okay, I'm going to do my devotions. And we'll spend 15 minutes in the Word with the Lord, or or maybe we'll, we'll spend a few minutes praying, or maybe some of us will take a walk with the Lord and pray a little bit longer. But then we sort of leave him behind. And Jesus says, no, 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 I want to go to work with you. I want to be with you all day. I want to enjoy your presence. I want you to be able to enjoy my presence. And I think too many of us, Raleigh, we don't make that sort of distinction. Um, Yes, I want to be with Jesus in the morning. And and getting up in the morning and being in the Word is a wonderful, wonderful uh, model example, by the way, by Jesus himself. Uh, Isaiah chapter 50. But... Then we go get a shower. Then we go get in the car. Then we go to work. And a lot of us, we will find that we're really not spending time with the Lord at all. We, we've, practically speaking, forgotten that he's even there with us. And what I want people to do, Raleigh, is to remember all day, every day, that Jesus is there. When that happens, you won't use foul language. You won't be engaged in gossip. Uh, you won't let the anger overcome you. Um, you won't want to get even when somebody does something that's bad to you. Because Jesus will be there. And then you'll be reminded that in his presence, we have to walk in the light. Because he's in the light. The minute we take a turn for the dark, then we are outside of his presence. And then we're a sitting duck for the enemy of our souls. So Galatians 5, 22 forward, Raleigh, read that. That's practically what it looks like. Now, let me just spend, I've got a, a caller waiting, so I'll get there in just one moment, caller, if you'll be patient. But um, as a brand new Christian, uh, I worked really hard. I, I had a running conversation going with Jesus pretty much all the time. If I would go into a restaurant, I would, uh, I'd actually get a napkin for him or I would, and I know this sounds embarrassing now, but I'd get a napkin for him or I'd pull up a chair for him. I'd get a menu and say, okay, Lord, what do you think we ought to have today? And, and it wasn't that I expected him to tell me what to eat, but it was just helping me be aware of his presence. When I was in the car, I would talk to him incessantly. When I would take a walk, I was walking with Jesus. I was talking to him. When I was at work, I wanted Jesus' presence there to be that stabilizing factor in my life. And Raleigh, the the reality is that there are times when uh, I would go maybe 20 or 30 minutes and hadn't even given Jesus a thought, and all I could think about was, man, did I get ripped ripped off for that last 30 minutes. Jesus, I'm sorry. I haven't even thought about you. Please forgive me. And then I would start all over again. And if you do that often enough, he becomes as real and as present as if he were there physically. Now, we know he's not, but but it's as real as though he was. And that's the place where we can say we'd just be with Jesus. Great question, Raleigh. Thank you very, very much. Uh, let's go to Carlos on line one. Carlos, thanks for holding. You're on the air. So, hi, hi, Pastor Ron. This is uh, Carlos on the northeast side. I'm hi, always, Carlos. Uh, good to hear from you. <laughs> I'm always emailing you. <laughs> How you doing? I'm doing really well. How about you? I'm good. Uh, I have a question. So I ran into some health issues this past week, and I was at the hospital and all that. Uh, I guess my... Um, Question is, uh, is there a way to feel the Holy Spirit when you're like in, you know, um, whenever you're trying to, uh, whenever you're, I guess, sick or have any type of health issue that you're going through? But Carlos, you know I mean? in my experience, when I'm sick, uh, that is the biggest single struggle that I have. Because if you're hurting or if you just feel uh, horrible, um, and I've gone through some, I, I've had flu, I've had flu each of the last two years. I've never had flu in my life. You know, when you get to be my age, Carlos, you're not supposed to have new stuff happen to you. But but it's in those times when you feel so bad that it's hard to get your focus on Jesus and get your focus off of you and how you feel. And so when I say it's hard, it also means it is the most important time 
to work really hard to stay focused on the Lord. And um, in my own experience, I've got to fight like crazy because I know that if I'm separated from the Lord in terms of his presence, then I'm going to mess up. The, The enemy is going to pound and he is relentless. He has no mercy at all. So he's waiting for that moment when the Apostle Paul uh, was was stricken by his thorn in the flesh. Uh, three times he asked the Lord. Now, sometimes you can be in the presence of the Lord. Somebody by saying, oh, Lord, please help me. Please heal me. Take this away. Well, three times he asked, and the Lord said, my grace is sufficient for you. And I think that's a lesson that every single one of us as believers really and truly need to learn. Um, you got to get your focus off you and on him. And it's when you feel the least like doing so that it really is the most important time to do it. So I think um, fight like crazy to experience the presence of the Lord. Uh, focus on him. I, I would talk to myself and just say, okay, i got to focus on Jesus. i got to find, because I don't want to embarrass him. I don't want Paula to hear me complaining and griping. I don't want anybody else to, 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 to see that in me. So what I do is I really fight hard to stay in the presence of the Lord. So, Carlos, is that what you were asking about? Yes, um, I was uh, trying to battle the shingles at the hospital, mm-hmm. and I was going through a lot, and uh, I was just trying, you know, you know, I was just uh, calling on Jesus, and I wanted to feel something, and I did, but um, I just, you know, like, every time that um, he goes through something hard in life, you know, like, he just feel kind of scared, you know what I mean? So... Uh, yeah, I'm Carlos, now, let, me, let me add something, because you, you just used the word feel. You're trying to feel something. I think faith, as we mature in the Lord, and you've been a believer for a long time now, so as we mature in the Lord, nothing can be based on what we feel. And I think when you're sick, it's a wonderful, wonderful moment to say, Lord, I don't feel your presence. I don't have goosebumps. I don't feel anything other than this pain or this, this illness but I know you're here. That's what real faith is. It's knowing what's true in spite of the fact that you may not feel it. So it isn't something that we should try to work ourselves up to get goosebumps. And I, I use that sort of figuratively speaking. But, but it, it's not about feeling his presence. It's about knowing that he's here. We do a song here, Carlos, from time to time, and I don't know the names of the songs, but there's a line in it that that says, Jesus has never failed me once. The idea is he's always been there when I needed him. He showed up, and he's never failed me yet. And when, when you're sick and you don't feel the presence of the Lord, those are the kinds of things to remember. I know you're here, Lord, because your word promises you'd never leave me or forsake me. I know you're here because you gave me a deposit, the promised Holy Spirit, guaranteeing my inheritance in heaven. I know you're here, Lord, because you've convinced me that you love me. And I think, Carlos, when we're in those situations where we don't feel well, or as you mentioned, and I think this is an honest statement, when we're afraid... You know, when a guy my age gets chest pains, it's, oh, my goodness, what's what's happening to me? Well, that's when I've got to take a step back and say, Lord, I know you've got me. Your will and not mine be done. I can rest in you. Now, I have to fight it, but I remember that over and over and over in the Bible, Jesus told us, do not worry, be anxious for nothing, and then even more times, do not be afraid. So it's in those times that the mature Christian holds on to those things that he or she doesn't feel. And that's a faith that really pleases the God, pleases the Lord. The Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please God. Well, in the positive sense, that means that when we demonstrate faith in those most difficult times, God is the most pleased of all. So, Carlos, I hope you're feeling better, and boy, it's good to hear you. It's been a long time. We'd love to have you call more often. God bless you, my friend. Thank you very, very much. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. One of the things I don't think people really realize about doing a show like this is you actually become friends with people like this. Now, I've not met Carlos face-to-face, 
But Carlos has been listening to the program and calling in, and he used to send me emails, Carlos from the Northeast side. And, and you know, you get a chance to pray for people, and when you pray for people, God sort of deposits them in your heart. So it's really, really good to hear uh, from people, even if they haven't called in a long time. Here's a question from Matthew. Pastor Ron, does God, dis- I'm sorry, does man decide what to do or does God force us to do things? Or if we don't, does he stop us from doing good things? Now, Matthew, I'm not exactly sure I understand your question, but um, man decides what to do. And the choice that we make is simple. Are we going to do what God wants us to do or are we going to do what we want to do? And and that's a choice that we make. Now, obviously, a God that knows everything knows the choice you're going to make. And because God is sovereign, his plan isn't messed up by our refusal. God simply is offering you the choice. He will never violate your free will, but you have to make the choice about who you are going to serve. In uh, Acts 26 um, actually, Acts 27, I got yesterday's Bible study mixed up with the one that I'm doing now for this week. Um, Paul says to the people in the ship uh, about to be shipwrecked, um, the God whose I am and whom I serve. Well, we have to remember that as servants of God, we don't really have a choice. We have to obey. So um, we we make the decision and we get blessed if we make obedient decisions. We suffer the consequences of disobedient decisions. And um, God doesn't stop us uh, from doing the right thing, um, but he doesn't force us to do the right thing. And Matthew, um, if if the genesis of your question is, um, well, well, if God is sovereign, he makes me do this or doesn't let me do this, uh, that's to misunderstand the sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God is never more powerfully demonstrated than when he uses our disobedience to accomplish his will. I can tell you this. If you don't decide to do what God wants you to do, there will be a lot of pain. If you do decide to do what God wants you to do, even in really hard times, there will be great joy. Uh, There will be richness and fullness of life. But you've got to decide. One of the things that we need to remember, the, the, the words matter, the word Lord. When we pray and call Jesus Lord, that means he's absolutely in charge. He's absolutely in control. I think sometimes we forget that and uh, we kind of exercise our free will to do what we want. There's always going to be pain when that happens. So, Matthew, I hope that answers your question. If that's not what you meant by your question, uh, would you please Write the question again, send it in. I would appreciate it. Here's a good question from Leticia. She says, was Revelation written before or after 70 AD? Now, Leticia, it, it appears to me like maybe you've been reading or talking to somebody who's a preterist. And a preterist believes that all prophecy was fulfilled in 70 AD. And so all of the prophecy that we have in our Bible, none of that remains to be fulfilled and um, um, obviously that is an aberrant view. Uh, it's, it's clearly wrong. I mean, Jesus is not ruling and reigning on the earth. That is a prophecy that's uh, yet to be fulfilled. Uh, Jesus' millennial kingdom has not been set up. We certainly haven't been through the great tribulation. That's prophecy that's yet to be fulfilled. And uh, the, the way uh, that preterists... Um, justify it as well. Well, all prophecy was fulfilled in 70 AD with the destruction of Jerusalem. Um, but, but obviously that's not true. Those people will give a pre-70 AD writing to the book of Revelation. Um, it is most commonly accepted by scholars um, of Reformed theology, non-Reformed theology. It's commonly accepted that Revelation was written in the mid-90s. John would be uh, roughly 90 to 93 or 4 years of age when he was exiled on the island of Patmos, uh, when the book was written, when he received the revelation of Jesus Christ uh, from the Lord. So uh, a late um, um, date of authorship, um, in, in the, the, the mid-90s somewhere uh, is, is uh, the generally accepted date 
for the book of Revelation. And and clearly, um, if you have to date it earlier to justify some doctrine that you believe, then you've got some problems. Again, the generally accepted view is it was written when John was a very old man in his 90s. Um, and uh, God wasn't done with him. That's why he preserved John's life in spite of the many attempts to uh, to kill the Apostle John. So um, I believe uh, the, the date I know was, it was 90 to 95 A.D. And uh, Leticia, we can't be any more clear than that. One thing that I can say about Revelation is, and in other books, by the way, there's no uh, with with a late authorship date, uh, there's no mention of a temple. There's no mention of sa- uh, animal sacrifices for the forgiveness of sins. And, of course, we know that all stopped in 70 A.D. And if there was an early date of authorship of the book of Revelation, then it, it would have been um, really unusual not to have mentioned sacrifices at some point in the temple. Good question. Thank you very, very much, Leticia. Buck says, The church I attend has a female pastor. Her husband is the co-pastor. So does that make it okay? Buck, it does not make it okay. Women are not to teach or have authority over men in the church. That's First Timothy chapter 2, verse 12. And the context of that passage is orderly worship. This is the way God wants it to be done. Paul says, these are the rules that we have for all of the churches, not just 2,000 years ago, but churches today. Now, it's very popular, Buck, uh, for churches, especially um, um, prosperity churches or um, seeker-sensitive churches. Um, uh, Rick Warren at Saddleback uh, had his wife ordained. Uh, he, He specifically, when he retired. Uh, He wanted a pastor and wife to be pastor and co-pastor because that's what pleases people and that's what they want to do. But it is a church that's out of control and it is not okay. Um, Paula will sometimes be called by people from other church backgrounds. Uh, They'll say, call her Pastor Paula and she'll say, no, 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 I am not pastor. I'm married to the pastor. And uh, the New Testament is very clear um, that, that the leadership in a church is male, not because men are smarter, not because men are more spiritual, not because women are more susceptible to sin or temptation. It's simply this is the order that Jesus gave us. Christ is the head of the church. Now, Christ, who is fully God, said God the Father is his head. He's talking about authority and the rules. And then he says, Jesus is the head of the church. Man is the head of the wife, has authority over the wife. And he's the one that makes the rules. And we don't get to improvise. So, Buck, if you are in a church with a female pastor, you are in a church that is either very, very light on teaching the word of God uh, or uh, uh, has aberrant doctrine, uh, prosperity doctrine, things like that. Um, or a church that doesn't really care what the Bible says, and they just want to do what the world says is okay to do. But it is a church that is uh, out of order. It uh, doesn't mean that your, your, your pastor and his wife are not saved. I'm not suggesting that at all. But it means that everybody in that church, Buck, is settling for less than God's best because they're deviating from the model Jesus gave for his church. And I want to emphasize, it is his church. He's the head of the church. He makes the rules, and he doesn't have to explain those rules to us. And it becomes so arrogant when we say things like, well, I just don't think that's fair. God God is not being fair to women. Uh, to accuse God of not being fair to, uh, or of not being just is really, really a, a dangerous place spiritually speaking, to go. Because if you start throwing out First uh, Timothy chapter 2, verse 12, then there's no end to the Bible verses that you will throw out as well. Well, if you don't like that when you throw it out, well, the next time you come up with something that you don't like, you can say, well, well I'm going to throw that one out too. I know what it says, but that's not what it means. 
but we need to be really careful about charging to God with not being fair. Or, especially when his word says there's no difference in male or female. Slave or free, Jew or Greek, male or female. To charge God with treating women unfairly is really, really to point your finger at God and say, you know, that's just not fair. And boy, that's a really tough, tough thing to be. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Uh, I think we got time for one more question. Let's have the program. Nope, we've got one minute, so I gotta do a very one. Um Sean, here's what I can do quickly. Sean says, do you think the early church lived a socialist style of life? It sounds like we should. No, you're talking about Book of Acts where they came and gave to everybody as they had need. Uh, That wasn't a comment on an economic system at all, Sean. That was a comment on love. In the early church, Jews, the church was entirely Jewish. They would be disowned by their families, kicked out of homes. They wouldn't be able to, to, to do business. Um, They were just completely on their own, and the church took care of its own. That's what the church should do even today. But that has no commentary at all about socialism or an economy. Hey, we've got 30 minutes left in the Monday show, 340-9585. I'll be back in two minutes. Back to the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the second half of our Monday show, 340-9585. Remember, you're more interesting than I am. We'd love your calls or toll free 877-630-KSLR. My producer informed me over the break that this is the tragic anniversary of Roe v. Wade becoming law in the United States of America in 1973. In 1973, our country gave permission to kill children in the womb. That would affect nearly 65 million babies. Imagine what some of those babies would have grown up to be. Scientists, maybe they would have found a cure for disease. Some would have become preachers and evangelists. Some of those children could have changed the shape of the world. But we never gave them a chance because we slaughtered them in the womb. We have some children in our church, great testimonies, but they were children that were rescued from an abortion table. One of them is serving on staff at a church in North Texas. He had to move for his work. One of those children who is about to be aborted is now my high school pastor. A wonderful gift to our church, brilliantly gifted musician and singer. And all because they were given a chance to live. 1973 changed all of that. In the Bible, we talk about in the Old Testament judgments of God, babies being eaten by their parents, babies being sacrificed to false gods. Well, nearly 65 million babies have been sacrificed to the God of sex, little g God of sex and convenience. I don't want to be bothered. I'm not ready. It never occurred to them not to have sex if they weren't ready. We've just said it's okay to kill the children. Now, we try to soften that position with words. We're just pro-choice, pro-choice. It's a woman's right to choose what happens with her own body. We never have the right to kill a living being. And when we do, there's going to be consequences. And I think we can look around at the world that we live in now 
and see the horrible consequences that began way back in 1973. 340 for your live calls and questions. Here's a question from Vivian. She says, what is the main lesson from the story of Josiah finding the book of the law missing in the house of God? Vivian, one of my favorite stories, obviously it preaches wonderfully, but, you know, there were all these bad kings. Now, Josiah, he's a boy king, eight years old, um, and uh, he'd been king for eight years, and at 16 years old, he started having questions. And they made a thorough search of the temple and they found the book of the law hiding in the temple where it had been laid somewhere put on a shelf all those years ago through all of the bad kings and now we got a young man who's interested they bring out this book of the law they read it to him and he realizes just how far Israel had fallen these are the the, the southern kingdom the tribe of Judah how far we've fallen from what this book tells us to do. And he made the connection, well, no wonder that we're, we're not being blessed. No wonder that we're under the curse of God. In another eight years, he begins to implement the things that the Word said to do. And, of course, he was a great king. And, of course, the, the presence of God and the blessing of God returned. So the lesson for us, Vivian, you can pick a lot of churches, probably churches within two miles of your home. And the Word of God, the Bible, is missing. Oh, they'll preach about it. They'll do a topical study about something and throw in a Bible verse here and there. You can go to the biggest church in the United States in Houston, Texas, and they start every service holding up their Bible. This is my Bible. And then they ignore it for the rest of the service. And I believe that the biggest danger to the Church of Jesus Christ in the year 2024 is the absence of the Word of God. Now, I can't change what other people do, but we've been committed here at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio to making the Word of God the preeminent feature of our church. We teach the Word chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Wherever I ended up yesterday, I'm going to pick up there next Sunday. We do that on Wednesday. We do that on Friday. We do that in our smaller group Bible studies. And it is the Word of God that takes center stage because it's the word of God living and active sharper than a double-edged sword it's the word of God that is responsible for every good thing that's happened in our almost 29 years of Calvary Chapel of San Antonio history it's the word of God that has transformed people's lives taken them out of a, a dumpster figuratively speaking and set their feet on solid ground and led them to who Jesus really is. And we find things aren't much different from Josiah. The Word of God was there all the time. Let me make one more application for you. In every church or people that come to church, on Sunday mornings they'll grab their Bible, they'll take it to church with them. When the pastor says, please open your Bible too, and there's a a, a chapter and verse, they'll do that. Then they'll go home, they'll put that Bible back on a shelf and won't pick it up again until next Sunday. Which means, in practical terms, that the Bible has no real place of authority in their lives. I'll go you one step farther, Vivian. There are people who know what it says and they read it. But then they don't do it. And then negates any possibility of the Bible having any value in changing their lives. So, um, Josiah is really good lesson for all of us. Thank you. Great, great, great passage of Scripture, Vivian. Here's a question from Jamie. It's spelled like a female, so I'm going to assume it's she. She says, I'm horribly inconsistent with my Bible study. Can you give me some tips to be more consistent? Amy, I can. Write this one down. 
discipline yourself. It's that simple. It has to be important enough to you to do it. There's no value in knowing, identifying what your problem is without fixing it. And so what you've got to do is you've just got to decide this is what I need to do. You know, now, Jamie, probably, if they're just, just working the odds, you probably have a job. And you go to your job consistently because if you didn't, you wouldn't get paid. And if you didn't get paid, you couldn't pay your bills. You couldn't pay your rent. You wouldn't eat. You'd be out on your own. So you do it because you have to do it. Well, why would we practice discipline for a job, for a paycheck, and not do it for the one who gave his life for us? So this is nothing but spiritual laziness, Jamie. I'm sure your heart is right. You want to do the right thing. But unless you do the right thing, God can't help you. There's just no real value in wanting to do something but not doing it. So, um, yeah, I'll give you a tip. Do it. Get up tomorrow morning and get in the Word. Period. Set aside some time. Schedule that block of time. Don't take your cell phone in the the place with you where you're going to be reading the Word. Just close the door, just you and Jesus, and let Him speak to you through His Word. And if you're unwilling to do that, well, then there's no help for you at all, Jamie. Hope that makes sense. Hope it changes things. Let's go to Lennon on line one. Lennon, good to hear from you. You're on the air. Hello, Pastor Ron. Um, I have a question. Uh, How come we don't hear much about um, a Calvary Chapel movement? Like, I came across by listening to you on the radio, but... Uh, other than that, I don't know of any other churches, you know, uh, with Calvary Chapel or even uh, because my main language is Spanish. Mm-hmm. And the Spanish um, audience or people, you know, we don't, it's mainly Pentecostals, maybe some Baptists. And, you know, to me, it's been eye-opening and it's been really great to, you know, learn more and more about the Bible, especially the way it's been taught, you know, uh, our church now. Well, Lyndon, I think the, the you know, what we have to do is we, we've got to get into the Word. Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 42. And Jesus, who is the head of the church, he tells us what church is supposed to look like. And if we would do what he tells us to do, then the cultural differences and, and the different approaches to the Bible wouldn't matter. We'd simply do what he told us to do, and and uh, then there would be more consistency. And here's the thing that we try to communicate to people. Uh, there are all kinds of different expressions. We've got I've got dear friends uh, who are so different, pastors who are so different than I am. But they teach the Word. I talk about Rander Draper, uh, Maranatha Bible Church. Uh, he and I, were about the same age, but that's that's where the similarities end. Um, he's fun. He's exciting. Uh, he can sing. He's got such a great voice. And I'm just using Rander as, as an example. But he's a great Bible teacher. And he focuses on holiness. He doesn't shy away from saying the hard things to his church. Now, I wouldn't do it the way he does it. But the reality is, is I don't do it as well as he does it. If he would watch me preach, he would think probably, boy, he's kind of boring, but he's being faithful to teach the word. So there's different styles, and that's okay. But the focus needs to be the same on the word. And when I see... Um, Hispanics who, uh, well, my background is Pentecostal, um, uh, or, or blacks who will say my background is, is faith and prosperity churches. Um, my response is always the same. Well, you know, you're really getting ripped off. You can find a church where the language is Spanish. Uh, Calvary Chapel of San Antonio, we have a Spanish church that meets 5 o'clock every Sunday. They have prayer meetings and things like that in Spanish. So you don't have to settle for what's being offered. Uh, it's always out there. Um, we have here in San Antonio, and I'm going to guess at the number, but I think we've got five, maybe six other in the greater San Antonio area, uh, Calvary chapels, uh, all but two of them we've planted. So we know that those are 
churches come into teaching the Word of God. So um, I just think as, as the people that you encounter, you tell them what God's doing in your life. You tell them that there's a place where the Bible's taught. And typically, Lennon, as you know, uh, coming to our church, um, that once they get a taste of the Word of God, they don't want anything else after that. It's interesting, you know, after COVID, uh, so many churches were closed and we didn't close. Um, people started coming, they're hearing the Word taught, and, and they have become permanent Calvary Chapel people uh, because we're teaching the Word. Now, we're not, again, not the only church that teaches the Word. And again, as I said, there are different styles, but the focus has to be on the Word of God. Hearing it, understanding it, and then doing it. Very, very important. Thank you, Lennon. Appreciate it. It's always good to hear from you. Let me talk to Reggie from Bernie Online, too. Reggie, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Yes, sir. Uh, appreciate you. And uh, I just had one uh, quick question. Uh, Matthew 5, 23-24, could you tell me if there's any way of getting around that besides just obeying exactly what it says? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of... Dumb, maybe it's a dumb question, maybe a simple question. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's pretty it's, simple. It's, you know, it's not anyway. a dumb question, Reggie, because I think every single person who has read the Sermon on the Mount has had that same response. You can't be serious. You don't want me to do this. Now, you said 24 through and 25? Yes, sir, 23 to 24. Okay, uh, let me go to 23. Uh, Matthew 5, 23 to 24. Yeah, let me read it. This is a Sermon on the Mount. And verse 23 says, Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who's taking you to court. Do it while you are still with him on the way, or he may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Now, one of the things about this this passage of Scripture is it's a very Jewish passage of Scripture. So we need to understand that we don't go in front of an altar and leave a gift. But when Jews were giving uh, their tithes uh, to the, the, the temple treasury, uh, Jesus basically scolding him. So why are you here trying to, to be right with God when you won't be right with the people in your lives? Now, this is very important. Jesus simply saying, before you come to me, then make things right with other people. And there's there's no working around this. This means what it says, and it says what it means. And Jesus is saying, don't let bitterness or unforgiveness hold you in its grip. And so make things right with people. Now, obviously, we have other teaching in the New Testament that says, as far as it depends on you, make peace with all men. Uh, it's not always possible to make peace with, with people because some are not willing to make peace with you. But do everything that you can. And what Jesus is saying here is that your walk then is unencumbered. My prayer, Your prayers will be heard. Uh, your gifts will have meaning to the Lord. But if we're holding on to unforgiveness... Or if we've done something to somebody, I think that's a specific context here. We bring a a gift to the Lord, and yet we've wronged somebody. Jesus is saying, hey, how about you go make it right with him before you come and try to make it right with me? And I think that's something, uh, Reggie, that we need to focus on in our lives, keeping short accounts not only with God, but short accounts with other people as well. Now, having said that, let me talk about the Sermon on the Mount for a moment starting with the Beatitudes, but going all the way through chapter 5 in particular. If you'll notice, the last verse of chapter 5 is Jesus saying, Be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Now, the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus saying to the people, If you want to get to heaven, now remember, the Jews believed that heaven was theirs by birthright. We are sons or descendants of Abraham, and so of course I'm going to go to heaven. And Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, is simply saying, if you want to get to heaven and you want to do that without believing in me, the way to do it is to be perfect. And of course, we can't be perfect. Not only can we not be perfect, but Jesus goes beyond the letter of the law into the spirit of the law. Uh, You've heard that it was said, thou shalt not commit adultery, but I say unto you, 
If you've looked at a woman with lust, you're guilty of adultery. So what Jesus is doing intentionally is creating an impossible standard. Anybody that wants to go to heaven without believing in Jesus Christ, without receiving the Holy Spirit as a result of believing in Jesus Christ, here's what they got to do. they got to be perfect. Perfect in deed, perfect in heart, and perfect in spirit. And that ought to convict every one of us because we can't. So, Reggie, the Sermon on the Mount is intended to make us feel convicted. But at the same time, we are to pursue perfection. We know we can't be perfect. First John talks about that in, at length. We know we can't be perfect, but we ought to want to be perfect. And that's what Jesus is saying. We'll be sort of a born-again birthmark, a, a born-again birthright of every true Christian. So if you're reading the Sermon on the Mount, Reggie, it means what it says. Go make it right with people as best you can. I know that's hard. But it's important. Great question, Reggie. Thank you very, very much. You know, a lot of people say, well, you know, I'm supposed to, if somebody hits me in the cheek, I'm supposed to turn the other cheek. Jesus is saying, you can't get to heaven without me. So believe in me. And sometimes going and admitting something that you've done is as difficult as anything. Asking somebody, forgive me for my sin against you. Is, is a really difficult thing. It hurts our pride. It embarrasses us. We feel shame. But the minute we do it, and then we say to the Lord, because he's convicted us, God, forgive me, and I'm going to make it right with that person, then that's when we're free. That's when we're really free. Great question, Reggie. Thank you very, very much. Here's a question from Jaden. My question is about deconstructing my faith. I'm being pressured by friends to do that. I find their argument persuasive. Could I have your thoughts? You know, Jaden, um, my first my first thought is get off the internet. This is this is social media is impossible. Uh, people that are deconstructing their faith, and this is a a trend. Maybe the last couple of years, maybe for five years, um, young people are growing up. It's not just young people, by the way, but it started with young people. They're growing up, and they're challenging the faith that was once and for all delivered to the saints. We have to remember that our faith hasn't changed in 2,000 years. And they're challenging it because, well, after all, there are people that are gay, and, 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 and I love them, and I don't want to discriminate against them. There are people that are trans, and I want them to be free to do whatever it is that makes them happy. Or, I don't see what's wrong with having sex with my boyfriend or with my girlfriend. Um, um, you know, we love each other. We're committed. And I got this pesky Bible that says I can't do that. I can't be angry. I can't hold on to unforgiveness. Well, the simplest way for them to deal with it is to decide, well, none of that matters anymore. And that's what's meant by deconstructing their faith. And Jaden, the reality is that when people say they're deconstructing their faith, and I'm really bold when people tell me this, and I will say to them, so what you're telling me is you're looking for a way to sin and still be okay with God. And the reality is that's exactly what they're doing. And I've never had any... Well, I wouldn't put it like that. Well, how else would you put it? You want to do something that God's Word says not to do it, so you convince yourself that the Bible's not that important. And that's exactly what deconstructing faith is. Our faith hasn't changed for 2,000 years. The doctrines of our faith are solid today as they were then. What was wrong 2,000 years ago is wrong today. What was right 2,000 years ago is right today. And these people are looking for a loophole. And that loophole is, well, I want to sin and I want to still pretend I'm going to be in heaven and everything is okay. And God's simply not going to allow it. By the way, Jaden, the people that are actually deconstructing their faith, if you will look at their lives, watch their lives from a distance, if you'll look at their lives, you're going to find there's no good fruit that's coming from their lives at all. It sounds spiritual, it sounds intellectual, but all it is is looking for a way to sin and still believe it's okay. So, Jaden... Resist the pressure. Here's the last question for the day. 
Neal says, Pastor, why do some people say Jehovah or Yahweh instead of Jesus? Neil, I'm going to confess to you, this is one of my pet peeves. Uh, you know, a lot of Christian songs, instead of saying Jesus, they'll say uh, Yahweh or or uh, Jehovah. And it, it just, I guess it sounds more spiritual. But the reality is, is uh, Jehovah probably is not even the real name of God, the I Am of, of Moses' burning bush experience. Yahweh would be closer. Nobody knows what the word is or what the original name is. The the uh, consonants were, were sort of taken out of it. Uh, and I think they're just trying to do it because it sounds spiritual. And uh, I think Jesus kept things simple. I am the revelation of God. I was sent to reveal to you who my Father was. And if you want to get to know the Father, you've got to get to know me. And Neil, I just think we're so much safer just saying Jesus. It is an English transliteration of the name Joshua or Yeshua. Uh, but um, um, Jesus is every bit what he wants to be called. We can have that kind of intimacy with him. Hey, thanks for tuning in today. You've been listening to the Monday edition of the Word to Stand Up for Life. Please remember tonight here at Calvary Chapel, we've got our men's, women's, and youth Bible studies. Paula will be teaching, and I'll be back tomorrow, Lord willing, at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. We'll see you then. Spending this time with Calvary Chapels, The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.